everybody. Good to see all your faces today. So, before we get into Ephesians this morning, I think it's important for us to acknowledge and pray about some recent events that have probably been on many of our minds uh, this last week. As you all know, last Tuesday was uh, the worst... I'm hearing some music. Okay, thanks. <laughs> um, I mean, it's good music, but it's not the right time. Um, as you all know, uh, this last Tuesday was the worst school shooting in America since Newtown uh, 10 years ago. Uh, it was at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas. 19 children lost their lives, uh, two adults, at least 17 more wounded. And I, I don't think we mentioned it here, I regret that, that just 10, 10 days before that, there was another senseless tragedy uh, in Buffalo, New York, where a white supremacist went into a grocery store and just shot and killed 10 black men and women. And of course, there's no words to describe how horrible these events are. The, the pain that people experience because of them is in, incalculable. You know, the lives lost, the, the families destroyed. And I think it's important for us to acknowledge that when these events occur, there is a wave of fear and anger that ripples throughout our, our country, right? Fear because the world feels more dangerous and anger because many of us think that there are things that could be done to help prevent this from happening as frequently as it does, but things stay the same. And that's frustrating, right? So there's just a lot of fear and anger. And I think it would be wrong not to begin by acknowledging that today. And so I, I've prepared a, a prayer for us, and it reflects my heart, and I hope it reflects yours too. So let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we grieve this morning. We grieve the senseless loss of life in Evolved in Buffalo. We pray for the families of those who have died, the moms and dads, grandparents, brothers and sisters. Lord, minister to them in their grief. In a time when they may feel that you have abandoned them, make your care evident. Make your presence known. Comfort those who mourn. And may they find rest in trusting that you really are stronger than death. We pray for our country, Lord, which has been suffering a disproportionate number of these kinds of shootings. In this time of national pain, may we turn to you, Lord. May we turn to you not just through praying, but by truly seeking to love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, we pray for our children, that they would be able to go to school without fear. We pray for your church in America, Lord. Help us to be agents of peace. You said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We want to be peacemakers. 
We want to help reduce violence in our country and in the world. May we be totally submitted to you so that we can do that. We pray for our government, Lord, for the politicians that create and pass legislation. Lord, we ask that you would guide them by a deep desire to do what's right, not by a desire to be reelected or the love of money, not by a prideful desire to own the other side of the political aisle. Lord, help them to be guided by truth and by love. And Lord, we pray for the lost souls who may be tempted to commit similar atrocities. Lord, restrain their anger. Keep them from weapons. Replace their hatred with empathy. Help them to feel the love that you have for people. Heal their wounded souls and give them eyes to see the beauty and value of life. As Christ taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We know that your will is not yet done on earth as it is in heaven, but we cry out for that, for the mending of this broken world. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Come soon, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Right. Well, as Keith said, we are continuing in our series on the book of Ephesians today. And I seem to have left my clicker somewhere. Is it? Oh, yeah. Thank you. So um, we started in the book of Ephesians last week, and we're picking up right where we left off. Ephesians chapter 1 starting in verse 15. So, let's do our best now to attend to these words. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, 
made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. All right, just like last week, there's a lot to take in there. Paul's very wordy. The sentences this week aren't quite as long. You might remember last week we had a 202-word sentence in the Greek, second longest sentence in the Bible. But uh, Paul's still keeping with the same lengthy style. So, in order to really appreciate what Paul is saying here, I think we need to know a little bit about how people thought in the ancient world about the world, what their worldview was. Outside of Judaism, uh, people in the Roman Empire, what we might call the, the pagan folks, they tended to think of their lives as controlled by fate. Uh, meaning, they believed that there were these supernatural beings who dictated exactly what they were going to do and, and what was going to happen to them. And they believed that the stars were these supernatural beating, beings, or at least that the stars were representative of these supernatural beings. And uh, so they thought, well, if you looked up and you studied the stars, you might be able to discover what was going to happen to you. You'd be able to figure out what your fate was. Now, that's kind of a depressing worldview, right? Because you're powerless. You're a pawn. And so some religious cults started to, de de to develop uh, that said that if you practice these certain magical rituals, if you, if you said certain spells or invoked the names of certain gods, that you might be able to control your fate a little bit, that you might be able to change it through magic. And that's why Paul makes it a point to say that Christ is raised above every name that is invoked. Did you notice that? Because... In Ephesus, there were a lot of people who had this pagan worldview. There were these religious cults that would practice magic. In fact, back in the book of Acts, which probably happened about seven years before Paul wrote this, it describes how a bunch of people converted to faith in Christ, and when they did, they burned their magical spell books. Uh, it says in Acts 19.19, 19, a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. And 50,000 drachmas is uh, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, I looked that up. That's about 192 years worth of earnings, which I would calculate to be about $6 million worth today. So this was an incredible expression of conversion, right? Conversion from trust in magic and belief in Fate, right, to trust in Jesus and belief in him. It was a costly conversion, right? And yet they, they did it. 
So, the pagan worldview, again, you're a pawn. Your fate is out of your control, except if you learn these magical spells. Maybe you might be able to get a handle on it. And then there was the Jewish worldview, which of course was the worldview that Paul had grown up with. And they believed that most of the world was under the influence of unseen evil powers. And we see this reflected near the end of the book of Ephesians, where it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In, in other words, not against human beings, right? But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Right? So, so the Jewish view was that the real rulers and authorities throughout the world are not the human kings and leaders, although they may be influenced by the real authorities and powers, but the real authorities and powers are these evil spiritual beings that are exercising oppressive control uh, throughout the world. Now, Israel, the nation of Israel, was supposed to be an exception to this. Israel is described as God's portion in the world, because Israel was supposed to be a nation that was ruled directly by God, not by these lesser spiritual beings that have been corrupted. But of course, Israel kept succumbing to the powers as well, right? They kept worshiping false gods and disobeying the law. So, but anyway, the way that the Jews conceived of all this, the way they conceptualized it, is there are human beings on the earth below, and God is in the highest heaven above, and in the in-between space, the middle space, are these evil spiritual powers that are working to oppress and enslave and do bring chaos to humanity. And this is why Paul says... As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. What is the kingdom of the air? Well, it's that middle space, right, between earth and heaven where these evil spiritual powers are at work. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air is the one who we would call the devil. So what Paul is saying is, you all used to be spiritually dead because you were trapped following the ways of the unseen evil powers. But, Paul says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, what does that mean that we have been seated in the heavenly realms with Jesus? Because I don't know about you, but I can't ever remember going up to heaven. Well, remember, okay, the Jewish worldview is that the air was filled with these evil powers, right? And the pagan worldview was that the night sky was filled with these stars, which were the fates which dictated what was going to happen to you. So, Either way, you looked up and around you and you saw or sensed evil forces, right? Forces that were hostile to you or that were indifferent 
to you. But Paul says that through Jesus, we are raised above those forces, like raised above the kingdom of the air, raised above the stars of fate to the highest heaven with God. And what that means is that Jesus gives us power over these things, that when we know Jesus, we are not controlled by this stuff anymore. He liberates us. When we know Jesus, when we understand who he is and what he's done, what he's revealed about God, we know that our destiny isn't written in the stars. We know that our destiny is held by God, and, and it's held by a God who loves us enough to die on a cross for us. Right? So forget about the stars, forget about the horoscopes, forget about the psychics. Right? At, at best, that stuff is just a waste of your time. And at worst, it's actually a gateway to letting the unseen spiritual powers wreak havoc in your life. Okay, the one who really holds your future is Jesus, and he doesn't want you to feel faded. He wants you to feel free, right? free to make good choices, free to be fully human, free to help earth become more like heaven. And also, when we know Jesus, we know that we don't have to be pawns of the unseen evil powers. Right? We can resist them just like Jesus resisted them. And however costly resistance might be, we can have confidence that our resistance ends with resurrection, triumph, victory. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this idea of resisting the unseen evil powers. So notice that Paul prays for two main things for the Ephesians. Uh, the first is wisdom, right? I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom. And the second thing that he's asking for is that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened in order that they may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. So he asked for wisdom, and he asked that they would realize how much power they have. And I think it's very appropriate that he asks for wisdom first. Because if you're the kind of person who thinks that you have incomparably great power, but you have no wisdom, you can do a lot of damage, right? It's important for us to ask God for discernment, right? For the ability to discern what real resistance to the unseen evil powers looks like. Wisdom is not something that is just automatically downloaded to us in its fullness the moment we profess faith in Jesus Christ. If that were true, then Paul wouldn't need to constantly be praying for it, for the Ephesians, right? Wisdom is something that we, we gain through experience, we gain through humble seeking of the truth. We need to grow in wisdom, we need to seek it. And if we don't, we might actually end up thinking we're resisting the powers, but actually playing into their schemes. So we need discernment. Let me give an example of what that might look like. Thinking we're resisting the powers, but actually playing into their schemes. Every person out there who believes and promotes really outrageous conspiracy theories, or what I might consider really religious out, uh, conspiracy theories, say like the earth is flat or something like that, 
they think that they're standing up to the evil forces, right? But what are they really doing? What they're doing is they're spreading misinformation, they're sowing confusion, they're encouraging division, right? They are not working against the powers, they are helping them. And that's why we need wisdom. And it's just so important for us to recognize that we don't get wisdom by being arrogant. Right? We acquire wisdom through humility. Think of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector that we looked at during our series in the parables. Right? How essential that disposition of humility is to our relationship with God. We gain wisdom through listening to those who have more experience than us. We gain wisdom by listening to those who are experts in areas that, that we are not, right? Now, when I say that through Christ we have power to resist the unseen evil powers, I, I, I feel a need to really clarify, what does that resistance look like, okay? Well, what that resistance looks like, to put it as simply as possible, is loving our neighbors. And I'm sorry if that sounds sentimental or sappy, but that's what it is. <laughs> the powers are always working to sow hatred and violence and discord, right? But, but Christ calls us to love. And that means seeking the blessing of those around us. You know, what the, pro what the powers try to do is they're always trying to get us to prioritize something other than loving our neighbors. Of course, money is one of the worst offenders, and that was something that Jesus took aim at consistently, especially in those parables that we looked at, right? Why did Purdue Pharma market highly addictive opiates to people, even when they had abundant evidence that they were causing harm and destroying people's lives? Why did they do that? Because there was a lot of money to be made, right? Money was prioritized over love, and that's how the powers work. If politicians value money more than loving their neighbors, and just to be clear, I'm saying if, I'm not saying all politicians do this, right? But I'm saying if politicians value money more than loving their neighbors, well, then their decisions, their policy decisions are going to be dictated by whatever makes them the most money, right? By the interest groups that have the money to give them for their cause, right? And what are those interest groups usually motivated by? By money, right? So this is how the powers work. They exploit human weakness, our fear, our insecurity, our greed, and in so doing, they turn us from practicing the greatest commandment, loving God and loving our neighbors. And through that, they, they wreak havoc all throughout society. And you know, sadly, they wreak havoc in the church as well. I hate to say that, but it's true. Some of you may have read about the, the third party investigation into the Southern Baptist Convention uh, that came out this week. Basically, same kind of story as what happened in the cover-up with the Catholic Church. Horrible. 
Now, I want to be clear, I keep referring to the powers exploiting us and tempting us, but I don't mean to suggest that we don't bear responsibility in the decisions that we make, especially if we profess to be followers of Jesus, right? We do bear responsibility. That doesn't mean that there isn't more at work than just our own sin. We are being exploited by the powers. But through Christ, we have strength to resist. If we know Jesus, we have been given what we need to resist. Now, I'm not saying we're going to be perfect. I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying we don't need grace. But we have been given strength to resist. Why would we value money more than loving our neighbors if we know Christ? You know, through Christ, we have an inheritance in heaven that dwarfs any amount of earthly fortune. You know, why would we let the powers exploit our fear? Through Christ, we know that death has been conquered. The grave has been overcome. Why would we let the powers exploit our insecurity and our pride? Right? Because through Christ, we know that we have a heavenly Father who, who loves us and has rich mercy for us and lavishes grace on us, who values us. Why do we need to feel insecure if we believe that? This passage concludes with what is probably one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. It's not quite on John 3.16 level, but it's pretty high up there. <clears throat> um, oops. Hmm. Guess I messed up here. Sorry. Well, I'll just go back. Here we go. Oh. There it is. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. It's a great verse. And what that verse is saying is that we are rescued from the powers of darkness. And we are rescued from them, not by our own strength, right? But through what Christ has done for us, and through our believing in what he has done for us. It is a gift, a gift of God. But we make a mistake when we think that what Paul is saying is something like, it does not matter how you live your lives or what you do, because you're forgiven. Because for Paul, being saved isn't just being forgiven. God. Okay, forgiveness is part of it, but you got to put this verse in context of everything that has come before, right? For Paul, what's, what being saved is, is being delivered out of living in the patterns of this world, right? And, and living according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air and his way of doing things, right? It's being saved as being pulled out of that, Right? And it is by grace that, it is ha that that happens. And yes, forgiveness is totally a part of that. Right? But salvation is more than just forgiven. Salvation is liberation from every other power that seeks to exploit and control 
us and, and wreak havoc in our lives. If we let Jesus work in our lives, he gracefully transforms us into people of love. Right? He frees us from, as Paul says, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, which means our sinful nature, and following its desires and thoughts. What we're freed from is from being a pawn. I think verses 8 and 9 should never be quoted with, without also including verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Right? And what that means is that God has given grace to us so that we might do good, so that we might be freed from the powers. I love how Paul says that we are God's handiwork. That word there is something like God's masterpieces. It, it's supposed to conjure the image of, you know, a, a great artist painting or, or sculpting, something like that. And that should be a reminder to us. God doesn't just want to forgive us. He wants to fashion us and develop us into something that reflects his beauty and his goodness. He wants to make us into a masterpiece. And yeah, we know how messed up we are. We know that that's hard to believe. Could that really happen? But we're called to trust. God is working in us. He wants to do that. He wants to fashion us and free us. Have faith. This is possible because Christ is seated in the heavens. He is exalted above every authority, and he has invited us up there with him. So let's accept that invitation. And live like we've accepted it. Lord, we thank you that you free us, that you liberate us from our bondage to our sin. We thank you for your grace which forgives us, but which also empowers us to be fashioned into your masterpieces. Lord, we don't want to live according to the patterns of the world. We don't want to live according to the kingdom of the air and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Lord, we want to live like we're citizens of your kingdom. Help us to know how to do that. Help us to have wisdom and discernment so that we can resist the unseen evil powers and all the ways that they, they are at work in the world. Give us that discernment. We need that discernment. Your church needs that discernment, Lord. Lord, we thank you, we praise you. Help us to trust and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.